0: Welcome back to the Women Offshore podcast, where again, we are exploring what life is like on Mercy Ships. If you missed my last episode, A Vessel of Hope, Mercy Ships is a nonprofit that started their mission in 1978. Each year, they send hospital ships filled with volunteer professionals who provide life changing surgeries to children and adults who otherwise would go without. To learn more of what they do and what life is like on board a mercy ship, I get to introduce to you today one of their experienced captains. This is the Women Offshore Podcast. I'm your host, Ali Cedeno, a mariner and founder of Women Offshore. Women Offshore is a 501c3 nonprofit organization supporting a diverse workforce on the water here with us today is Captain Kathy Schenkel. She's a graduate of California Maritime Academy and originally joined Mercy Ships back in 1986. She is someone who has put serving the maritime industry and needs of the world above her own. When she hasn't volunteered on Mercy Ships, she has worked in other parts of the industry, but she also likes spending that time cruising with California Maritime Academy on the training ship Golden Bear to teach the students and support their professional development as mariners. As you can imagine, Captain Kathy has a lot of sea stories to share with us. So welcome, Kathy. Let's get started. Welcome to the Women Offshore Podcast.
1: Hi, Allie. Thank you for having me on. It's good to meet you.
0: Yeah, it's great to meet you too. And I am just so impressed with your career and everything that you have accomplished. And I just I can't wait for this this episode so people can learn from you. So please start out by sharing your background and how you ended up working at Mercy Ships.
1: Well, I am the daughter of a career army officer whose parents were both from maritime families. I started college thinking of being a doctor and got kind of turned off the school pretty quick. And I saw an ad in the school newspaper that said, jobs on ships. And I knew that I knew that I knew that's what I wanted to do, even though I had never thought of it before. So I looked into it and tried to get a job just going on as a seaman. All the companies that I contacted said, oh, you have to have seaman's papers. And you get those from the Coast Guard. I contacted the Coast Guard and they're like, oh, we can't give you papers unless somebody's going to hire you. So it's like you really had to know somebody to get into the industry. So I also looked into the Maritime Academies. And so I applied to Cal Maritime and I got accepted there. I started school in 1978 and I graduated in 1982. That was the beginning of getting involved in the maritime industry. When I got out of school, there were no jobs in 1982. Everything was very depressed in the maritime industry. And so I, you know, I went back to my folks' house to stay with them. I lived in Southern California and just I had to work to pay off my student loans. And then about five months after I graduated, I saw this, ad. there's a Christian concert. And so I went to that, somebody whose music I really enjoyed. And I went to the concert. They had a call into missions. I said, okay, God, you know, I'm not evangelist kind of person, but I can certainly go and help somebody support somebody who is. So I got prayed for and everything. And then after that was all over, this man got up and started speaking. His name was Don Stevens. He's the founder of Mercy Ships. <laughs> Starts talking about Mercy Ships. And I knew that I knew that was what I was supposed to do. So I looked into that. I didn't go right away because, as I said, I was in debt from school. So I had to pay that off first. So four years later, I joined Mercy Ships. The ship was in Victoria, British Columbia. And that's how I got started with Mercy Ships.
0: Yeah, what fate. Wow. So you've been with them for a while now. How would you describe the culture on board? And can you share what a typical day is like when you're on a mission in port?
1: Okay. And by culture, do you mean like the social culture or the work culture?
0: I'd say maybe both. Okay. If you could, yeah.
1: Well, social culture, Mercy Ships is an international organization, and so they have many nationalities on the ship. When I was on the ship, which was some years ago, the last ship I was on, we had like thirty-five different nationalities on board, represented on board. So there's a mixing of cultures. The largest cultural group was Americans. So the culture was similar to American culture, but different. Then we have all these different languages spoken. Everybody sp- spoke English to some degree, but not you know, no, some people were not fluent in English, and so there was the little communication snafus that go on because you know everybody's not fluent in the same language. So that was interesting, but you know, good. Also then everybody's coming with their own cultures on board and that's all mixed in. And then on top of that, when we were in ministry in another country, then we would hire local people. We call them day crew to come on board and work with us. So we had that culture as well, all mixed in together on the ship. And it was really, it was fun for me. That's one thing I love about sailing is going to other countries and seeing how people do things. I just love, I just love seeing different cultures. To me, that's just fascinating. And so living and working on the mercy ship was that all like in my house, you know, <laughs> I lived in that culture all the time. So it was, it was really neat and fascinating. So that socially on board, that was pretty cool. So let me give you a little example of that. One year at Christmas time, they asked all the different nationalities to get together in their own groups and present their Christmas traditions to the rest of the crew. So we had kind of what we called a fun night and we got to see what the Norwegians do for Christmas and what the Mexicans do for Christmas and, you know, that kind of thing. It was fascinating. It was so fun.
0: That's great. And I love how you can come together with all these different cultures to give back to the world and support your mission.
1: So that kind of gets into the work side of things is the work culture on board was everybody was there to give, you know, nobody was there to make money or anything else or rise up and rank or anything like that. I mean, that happened if you were in the deck or engineering department, but so you had this whole different mindset on working because people were there to give and not for what they could get. If there was extra things that had to be done after our normal work hours, then they would call for volunteers and people would pitch in. In fact, my very first day on the ship, when I joined the ship in Victoria, they had a call for, Hey, we volunteers are needed to help move medical supplies. So I hadn't been put to work yet and I wasn't doing anything else. So I'm like, Hey, where's the medical department? Can you tell me how to get to the medical department on board? And so I went down there and, and helped. And that's a very typical thing. It's loading stores or whatever else may come on that we need to bring on board that we get a bunch of people who job that not was not normally their job. So they would have to, they would jump in just by volunteer. You know, it was not, it was not required or anything. So. I thought that was a pretty neat work environment to work into.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it seems that every day is probably different. And so when I ask, you know, what a typical day is like, you probably are just stimulated with different missions, different opportunities all the time.
1: Well, you know, my experience was in the deck department. So that's what I can tell you about a typical day. And we did spend most of our time in port. So, and we try to spend a good chunk of the time in service we call field service so when we're in port we worked eight to five we started the morning with with devotional and that would sometimes be the whole community gathered together or it would be in our individual departments and we'd have devotions so the day volunteers or the day crew would come on board before that and they would join us for devotions and then after that we'd divvy up the work and send people out to do their various jobs so for the deck department you know, they were doing maintenance on the ship primarily. Sometimes it would be inside. Sometimes it would be outside. If you were an officer, of course, you, you might be the duty officer for the day. And that might happen every third day or every fourth day, depending on how many officers we had on board for that. The same similar thing would be happening in the engineering department. But one thing we did do is for the people who were there, the long-term crew, which at that time was anybody uh-huh. who would volunteer for two years or more, then they would get. And we we're only doing our field service about four months. Get a shot in those days, so everybody in the department would have one week off of their department duties so that they could go out with one of the field teams. So they could go out with the dental clinic or the eyeglass clinic, or they could go with the the doctor village clinics where they're going around um, treating people just for you know worms and infections and that sort of thing. So that everybody who was on the ship in a department that was only working on board, they would have a chance to go out into the field and experience what it was like to work with the people of that country.
0: What was that like? Can you share any stories with us?
1: I went out with the eyeglass clinic one time to help them. I helped screening people, you know, because I don't have the expertise to do the eye exams. That would be, that would be an ophthalmologist or ophthalmologist or an optician. And I would just kind of help people get from one place to another and escort. them. we would always, you know, if, we, if there was something that, you know, they had an eye out, obviously, you know, you can't correct that. And then you would just send them to another group and we would pray there would be a group of people that would pray for people before they went home. So that was kind of fun to help with the screening and everything. I did mostly screening stuff just helping with that. And then that took a big chunk of the crew because, you know, the medical crew itself, there just wasn't enough people to do all that kind of stuff. And there was crowd control, all kinds of stuff going on at the same time. And it was fun to go out and see what was going on. Another time I went out with the building team and they were building little houses and different things like that at the time for people who, I think we were in Jamaica, and that was shortly after Hurricane Gilbert had come through and just flattened so much of that country. That was like 1988, I think, something like that. And it was just neat. We were just building wooden, real basic one room. I don't know, you, you could call it a shack, but it was a better quality than a shack. It had floor, it was raised up off the ground, had wooden walls and windows, and, and that sort of thing, just to give people shelter because they had nothing there places had been blown down and a lot of them were living in shacks really, you know, just put together with sticks and pieces of corrugated tin roofing or something like that. They were really pretty sad. So what we were building them was not what we would consider house, but for them, it was better quality than they had before.
0: Yeah. I feel like I could listen to your stories all day. And if I could, I would just ask you to keep sharing more stories with us. Do you have any other stories you want to share before we move on?
1: I do have a couple of sea stories. One, things that happened while we were at sea, which were kind of interesting.
0: Yeah, please share.
1: We had been doing our field service in, I think we we had just left Ghana in West Africa. And we were sailing back to Europe where we would do a public relations tour. And one of the crew had got appendicitis and they needed a surgery. They needed emergency surgery. Well, we're out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, you know? (laughs) And so what do we do? Well, it just happened. And this was not normal that we had an internal surgeon on board. Wow. Because we normally we didn't. He was from Poland. And that was like 1990. So, you know, the Soviet Union wasn't really open yet, but he had somehow been able to get out of his country. And so they asked us on the bridge to, you know, sail a ship slow down, make it as stable as possible, you know, which is not so easy to do in the ocean, but no. it wasn't too bad. <laughs> and the operating rooms were still sterile from our surgeries. So that doctor took that crew member in there and did an emergency appendectomy on him. So I thought that was something novel that does not normally happen on a ship.
0: Right. Yeah. How lucky.
1: Another sea story. We were sailing up, and this is on a smaller, one of the smaller ships we were sailing up the coast of Baja and the chief mate was on watch. I was the second mate at the time. The chief mate was on watch and he got a emergency call over a mayday call over the radio. So he answers it and there's a sailboat and there's, it's a gale it's blowing a gale. So it's blowing like 30 knots or more at the time, pretty rough. And he's talking to the sailboat and they said, yeah, we lost our steering and we're just at the mercy of the waves and everything. And can you help us? He says, where are you? They gave their coordinates, and they were over 150 miles away from us, which if you know anything about radio, VHF radio usually only goes maybe 25, 30 miles. So we got some weird bounce. We were able to talk to this guy pretty clearly. We said, yeah, we'll head up there. It's probably going to be tomorrow before we get there because we just can't go that fast. And he was north of us. We were heading north. And we just had to go, you know, we had to go further offshore to intercept him, which we did. And we got there, and it was rough as anything. And we were, like, trying to help him. Our engineers were trying to jerry-rig something so he could steer his boat. His rudder shaft had broken or the rudder had spun on or something so it wouldn't steer. So they tried to jerry-rig something. That didn't work. So always trying to get close to the sailboat and drop off the equipment was really tough. Our captain did a great job of... Maneuvering up us up there. By the way, that was Angie's husband, John Fadley. He was the captain at the time. Oh, nice. And so finally, we, you know, we decided, well, we can't do anything. We can't fix this thing. So we're going to have to tow them in. So the captain pulls up really close. We throw a heaving line over to him. We pass some more line over, get a line that's strong enough to tow him. We kind of maneuver them so they're behind us. We're towing them along behind us and we're towing them into shore. And the tow line broke once. So we had to do the whole operation all over again. We finally got him in close enough where we anchored and it was hit calm down by that time. So we'd like, it was this couple, a man and a wife. And so they, we had them come on board. We actually sent food back to them on a the line, hot, some hot food. Cause they had nothing but like crackers or something to eat. You know? <laughs> so we like sent some food down a, a line all wrapped in plastic and they got that some chicken or whatever we had for dinner that night. Once we got inshore and we anchored, then we had them come on board so they could take a shower and everything get cleaned up. And they were so very appreciative. And then we towed them the rest of the way into shore with one of our one, one of our lifeboats. So that was another one of our fantastic sea stories where we got to save the day.
0: Yeah. Again, they were so lucky. Wow. And thanks for sharing that with us. That must have been a really exciting 24 hours or so. And I'm sure they were really appreciative of everything that you guys did.
1: Yeah, it was it was fun. It was fun the the whole seamanship aspect of doing things, you know. It was it was real interesting. I learned a lot from it.
0: You know, it's no secret that a career at sea is very challenging. So, what have you found challenging about your career and how have you overcome those challenges?
1: I would say the most challenging thing was initially getting a job because, you know, there was first of all I couldn't get into the maritime industry without knowing somebody and then I got in, I got, I went through school and then I couldn't get a job because there was, there was no jobs. There just wasn't any jobs. So getting hooked up with Mercy Ships was great because Mercy Ships always needs professionals to come and work with them because there's a turnover, you know, there's a turnover rate because, you know, people want to upgrade or they want to go out and do something else, but they come for a period of time and then they leave. So I actually got my license up to captain pretty quickly because, because people would leave and then I Got you know, I got hired. I hired in or put into the higher position, and so that was pretty neat. That was probably the hardest thing for me to overcome. You know, a couple times with ran into a couple of you know, women don't belong in the maritime industry kind of stuff. So that actually started when I was in school, of course. Some big mouth in my division. He's like, I don't think women belong in this industry. I'm like, I don't care what you think. Just shut up. You know. <laughs> Good. And then after that, our bosun, because we were in seamanship class, and the bosun at the time was this old old guy, had been at sea forever, you know, covered with tattoos, the whole business, you know. And after I said that to this guy who had told me women don't belong in the maritime industry, then the then the bosun goes up and starts chewing him out because I think he really liked having the girls there at the school.
0: Yeah, good. Yeah, it's mindset. Unfortunately, still exists in some areas. Yeah. And it's a challenge that women all over the world have to overcome. But
1: yeah, I think going into the industry, you know, you kind of expect that. Now, I grew up with five brothers. So for me, dealing with guys was very comfortable because I had so many brothers and I just treat them like my brothers. I like, got along very well with most of them. There was a few, you know, that just, you know, you know who knows what their problem was.
0: Yeah, there always are, it seems. Yeah, so you'd go out to sea for long periods of time. Did you experience burnout at all?
1: I did. So I would, you know, I spent my first time with Mercy Ships. I was with them for six years, and I moved up to the chief mate slot. I was chief mate for about two years before I left. Then I was away for like five years. I didn't really sail. I mean, I I sailed with a tanker company for a little bit. Then I went back in Mercy Ships. I was there for like seven and a half years. I did okay until I got to be chief mate and the master. Because just there was a lot more responsibility. And especially when I was master, there was a lot of stress. We were always short. When I was a master, we were always short of the professional sailors that we needed to have on board. So that kind of wrote on me. Like I had nine different chief mates in 13 months. So that that can tell you, you know, I'm dealing with, they come on board, they have to learn the ship and things are different on that ship than they would be on a regular commercial ship. And so I ended up, really doing the, the captain and the chief mate's job at the same time. So that burned me out pretty bad. <laughs> I, I eventually resigned. I, I think I was captain for almost two years. Um, and then I resigned, I guess, you know, we were on, I was on the ship. That was my home. I lived on the ship and the way it worked when I was there was, was you got a month off a year and there was the time you were on the ship. Now we weren't at sea all the time. So that helps some. Um, but you know, a ship, there's always stuff to do on a ship, even when you're in port, that's an ongoing thing. So I didn't, my first stint, I didn't really take my vacations and stuff. And so that, I think, it contributed to my burnout. And I just think it's real important to have some kind of interest outside of the ship to keep you sane or just to get your mind off of it for a while. So I know a lot of people, when we were in doing our field service, people would get involved in the local churches if they spoke the language and and that helped a lot. I did that one year too. That was, it was good to just get involved with some other people and be off the ship and not think about the ship and what's going on there and just think about other normal things that people do, you know?
0: Yeah. And then when you had an opportunity to take some time off or, or at least away from Mercy Ships, you said you worked, I think, tankers for a bit.
1: Yeah, I worked just for a couple of months. I worked for one of the tanker companies that was running tankers between Valdez and Washington and also California. So I did that for like two and a half months. But when I left Mercy Ships the first time, it, I was very really burned out and I had been kind of sick the whole time, like I was running a low-grade fever all the time. So I went home and I did nothing for six months. I stayed with my folks. I studied and passed my master's exam because I had my C-time in by that time for my master's license. And then I went to work for this tanker company and it's just like, you know, they were <laughs> that was a twelve hour days. They were requiring us to work twelve hours a day, and it was it was too much for me. And I just I just couldn't keep up. So I ended up leaving that. And then I went to North Carolina, actually where I'm at right at this very moment. There's a ministry here. It's kind of a retreat center, but it's a unique ministry. And I came here and I spent four years here on staff. Or one I came for four weeks and I stayed for four years. <laughs> Which <laughs> <laughs> is kind of funny. So the pre- program I was in was four weeks, and then I asked if I could stay. They said yes. And so I ended up staying for four years and just really got – I got settled. I got feeling much better and got my strength back and all that stuff. And then when it was time to go, I just felt like the Lord wanted me to go back into mercy ships. And and he showed me that by – the director was leaving, and we had, made, we had put a timeline on when I thought I was supposed to leave and then what I should do. He's like, yeah, I'll go find some other things too, is see what you can come up with. And so then they were leaving the last week they were leaving. He and his wife were leaving for a couple of weeks. And I said, well, what if something happens while you're gone? Can I leave? And he says, no, we don't want you to go when we're gone. I said, well, the only thing I can think of that would happen would be if mercy ships called me and they needed an officer, but then it would just be for, you know, maybe two weeks at the most. And that's exactly what happened. And I hadn't heard from them in months. I mean, years, years. And I came home on Saturday night and the Sunday was the cutoff for what we had Plan came home saturday night there's a message from my sister who never called and she said mercy ships is trying to get a hold of you
0: (laughs) of course right (laughs) this is how it works out
1: (laughs) right so i called him up it's saturday night oh yeah we're we're in chicago and we need an officer to sail on monday we're going to from chicago to duluth and i'm like okay that he's like you can come I said, "Yeah, I can come." <laughs> so that's how I got involved in Mercy Ships the second time and then I went for that was just for a 4-day trip and then I came home back here and I talked to my the director and his wife and they're like, "Yeah, that's looks like the door that God's opened for you, so we think you should go through it." and You know, at that I was had to raise my own funding. Everybody's supported on the ship by basically their missionaries, so they have other people that are supporting them. So I said, "Yeah, I need you know, I don't have any money, so actually, I was able to raise the funding I needed in in a month. And then I joined Mercy Ships again. So to me, all that was confirmation that God wanted me there. He opened the door. He provided the funding for it. And so I went back in Mercy Ships again.
0: Yeah. And you've been with them for a bit again? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So actually, I resigned when I was captain. I resigned in 2005. And I didn't and I was away for quite a while. And then I got contacted by the maritime training manager for Mercy Ships because I they had put me through a train-the-trainer course some years before. And he said, you're on our list of trainers. We're wondering if you still are interested in doing that. So I contacted him. That year, I didn't sail with the Maritime Academy. They didn't need any extra officers. So I'm like, okay, God, what do you want me to do? I get contacted by Mercy Ships and then also somebody else. And so the training manager, I said, yeah, I can come. I said, yeah, I'm interested. And he says, well, here's our schedule. Can you come to any of these? <laughs> so in 2012, I started teaching for Mercy Ships for their basic training, or what used to be called basic safety training for their new crew. So I started to do that in 2012. I've done it once or twice a year ever since then.
0: What advice do you have for someone who wants to volunteer with Mercy Ships?
1: I mean, first of all, don't think you can't go because you don't have a profession i mean this is i know that most of the people listening to this podcast will be mariners but those who aren't even on the ship they have almost every occupation you can think of is represented on that ship you know plumbers bankers you know chefs i mean there's all kinds of stuff so you don't have to be a mariner to go but i would say my advice would be go for a couple of months and try it out and see if you like it cuz some people they can't deal with the crowded, you know, cause let's see the Africa mercy has like 450 crew on board and this is a, you know, a 600 foot ship or something like that. So, you know, that gets crowded after a while. So I say, go for a couple of months, see if you like it and either they're going to love it or they're going to, they're not, you know, I mean, most people just love it. And so they want to come back long-term, but that would give them a taste of the ministry. It would, and if they're, especially if they're, out on field service, then they really get a taste of what the ship does. And I think that's really, really important. Just try it out first. And then if you like it, go back long term. If you don't, well, find something else to do.
0: Yeah. If anything, you might learn a few things in those couple months that you can take with you moving forward. Oh, yeah.
1: One of the things I always tell people, they say, you have any good sea stories? And I'm like, you know what? If you spend two weeks on a ship, you'll have sea stories for your entire life. <laughs>
0: yes, Absolutely. Is there anything else you would like to share with the audience?
1: No, I just say that I know I work with the cadets at the, at Cal Maritime in the summertime on their training cruise. And they always, you know, they're always asking the guest officers like me, I'm like an adjunct officer for the cruise. They're like, hey, what do you do? For, what did you do for your career? And so I tell them about Mercy Ships. And I said, that's a really, that's a really cool place to work. It's really neat. And especially if you have no experience, like me, when I got out of school, I was third mate, I had no experience. And so you're not You know, when jobs are scarce, that doesn't make you very—I don't know what the word is—but for a company looking for an officer, when they're going to look at somebody who has some experience over somebody who has no experience. So, mercy ships was a great way to get some experience, you know, and then actually I was able to upgrade my license, and that makes you a lot more hireable. So, I think that's a one thing to look at. It, you know, it might just be a, a year of your time, but if it benefits your career by giving you some experience and maybe even being able to upgrade your license, then I think it's really worth it.
0: Absolutely. That's a great point, especially right now with companies not hiring and it being so hard to find any work in the maritime industry. So getting your feet wet on Mercy ships right out of school can mean that maybe in a year when things are hopefully better, you have experience on your resume to go get a paying job.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and it's not as demanding as being on a regular ship. So it's kind of like there's a lot more tolerance for mistakes and things because really, I mean, when I first started with Mercy Ships, there was no basic training or anything like that. It was just like, you know, you could take a farm boy and you had to turn him into a sailor. So we were training from the very beginning. We would take these younger people off, you know, just normal, everyday young people and come bring them on the ship and turn them into sailors Because so many people were on that ship who have no ship experience whatsoever, because we have people working in the dining room and other the administration, they have absolutely no experience on a ship at all unless they've been on a cruise. And we know that's not like a normal ship for (laughs) for most people. So, you know, we were always training. We were always having to look out for people who had no experience. And so even though I had no experience, I had all the training I had from school and everything. Made me so much further along than most of the people on the ship because they're just ordinary people off the street kind of thing. They don't have any sea experience, so so it's a good way place to learn get, and get experience because there's that tolerance for you know you can make a mistake. Whereas you go on a some other ship where you make a mistake and you're fired, you know, just like that. Yeah, so it's getting experience without all the pressure. I guess is a good way to put it.
0: Right. Oh, thanks for sharing that. Thanks so much, Kathy, for coming on the Women Offshore podcast. It's been great getting to know you.
1: And thank you for having me. And I hope a lot of people hear this and it it encourages them.
0: Before you go, here are some events on deck from my colleague,
2: Savannah, at the Oil and Gas Global Network. Hey, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN, and here are the events on deck for February 2021. This month, we only have three events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. We send it out every month, and it includes more info about the events I talk about here. We even include events that occur two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. First up, we have our two in-person events. The TAMU SBE Sporting Clays Tournament at Tonkaway Ranch in College Station on the 19th, and the Thrive Energy Conference at Minute Maid Park from the 24th to the 26th. The only online event we have this month is the TAMU SPE Executive Series with our very own Mark LaCour of Oil & Gas This Week on the 26th. Other than these events, OGGN may be hosting some more live streams this month, so make sure to check out our Facebook, LinkedIn, or our website for more information about any of the live streams we have coming up. If you have any questions about the events or any of our shows, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for February. I hope you guys have a great month and thanks for tuning in.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the Women Offshore podcast. What did you think of the show? Leave a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. Additionally, if you want to propel Women Offshore forward, please visit womenoffshore.org or womenoffshore.shop, make a donation, or purchase some swag. Until next time, stay safe out there and I'll talk to you soon.